It's just, he's, he's in pain right now, but he's, his voice sounds phenomenal, right? And I told him the moral of the story is he didn't wear his chaps and he should have worn his chaps. That's all I'm gonna say. And so I love that song, what we sing about, we're, we're talking about this idea, right, of moving over the last three weeks into the, the things God might be prompting on your heart. And as you do that and you move into it, even last week through Kaleo, that you'll see things differently. But there is this reality that as God calls us to move, it might cost something. And on the other side of the coin, as we don't move, there's a cost even to that. I literally yesterday paid the cost of moving one of my friends. Uh, so many of you guys know, Mish leads worship here. Her husband, Kevin Rohner, one of my best friends all the way back from Van Hoosen Middle School Basketball. Uh, we've known each other for a while, but he was moving yesterday, texted a bunch of people to show up, and he found out I'm his real friend because I came, unlike everyone else. And... Uh, <laughs> I, I, later in the day, I like, had, I like pulled a muscle or something because I was like breathing. I'm a little sick and coughing and I'm like, I have significant pain. There was actually a cost of me moving within that. I also, which is kind of sad, but also good. I, I ended up getting an Apple watch, which I somehow forgot this morning. And I broke my exercise record moving him yesterday, which I felt good about, but also a lot of shame that that's the most I've worked out in the last like 10 days. Uh, but there's a cost. Even with that Apple Watch that I ended up getting me and my wife for trying them out for Christmas. And I didn't move right when I was supposed to on Black Friday and I ended up missing the deal. I ended up getting one that was nicer than the one I was gonna get because they made that one have the deal, but it's still way too expensive. But this one has fall protection. Does anyone know this? The new Apple Watch, if you fall significantly hard, it will ask you if you're okay. If you don't respond, it will call an ambulance. And it automatically turns on if you say you're over the age of 50. So this is like the new help I've fallen and I can't give up, get up thing. It's just built into the Apple Watch. And I had a cost the other day. I was running around. My son, he's like, he's going to be a year, December 26th. So we're getting there. Um, haven't slept in 2019. But he was on my back and we were running around being a little crazy. And I hit one of his toys and I took a stumble. Thankfully, I caught him, but I hit the drywall. Um, no damage. But I got a, I, it works because I got an alert that said, do you want us to call an ambulance? And I was like, no, I'm okay. I'm glad it doesn't call child protective services. <laughs> but there was a cost even in buying something, a cost in stepping out into something. I remember even a few years ago, me and my wife went out to California to ministry school and there was a cost of giving up our condo and raising support and going out there. And there would have been a cost if we didn't go because we experienced this, this incredible year of transformation, even growth individually in our marriage. And if we would have said no to that, right, there's a cost that we would have missed out on what God was doing. I have this thought, the cost of saying no to God is always greater than the cost of saying yes. And for each and every one of us, we should consider this question today that when was the last time you made a bold move in your relationship with God, whether it's something individually or stepping out into something or having a conversation that scared you. When was the last time you took a bold move in your faith that we should be a people? Uh, some of you remember, we had a guest speaker, Steve Carter here a few months back and he was talking about we should have stories of what God is doing in our lives. Maybe, maybe that's sharing your faith with someone. Maybe that's a reconciliation. Maybe that's just an inward transformation, but we should have stories of places we have stepped out in faith and seen God move. Maybe it's financially. We should have stories that we moved into. I 
few months back, was at a diner over in Troy. I was getting lunch uh, with Don Anderson, does global partners for us, and our waitress came, and it was interesting. We were in Troy, but she ended up saying, like, somehow it came across that she was from Orion, we were from Orion. Uh, she couldn't go to Kensington. We talked to her about Kensington, said we worked there because she works on Sunday morning. And you know when you feel like a prompting in that moment that, like, oh, maybe God is up to something right now, just even through that conversation. And so as we were leaving, I was going to the bathroom, which is kind of my uh, ideal spot to pray in public, I guess. And uh, I just said to the Lord, I said, do you want me to say anything to this woman? You know, she's from Orion, we're from Orion. And I just felt like in my heart, like I just had this thought, just let her know she's a really good mom. And so as we were leading, we paid for the bill. I went over and she was there with one of her employees. She oversees the whole restaurant. And I said, hey, I was praying for you. I didn't say in the bathroom. I was praying for you. And I just felt like the Lord wanted you to know this. And I started encouraging her that like, I asked her if she had kids. She had kids. I, wanted, I was like, I feel like the Lord wants you to know you're a great mom. And not only are you a great mom, like you oversee this restaurant and you mother people. As I'm saying that, I don't know what's going on. One of her coworkers right there starts crying, which I was like, this is interesting. And uh, <coughs> start encouraging her with that. She goes on to share that she's currently going through a divorce, doesn't know where she's at in a relationship with God. And me and Don ended up praying over her. And you could tell she was just feeling and wearing this cloak of shame and guilt over this divorce. And it was funny, it was right when all the vertical marriage stuff was going on here, so we invited her to that, but she was so busy she couldn't come and she also didn't know if she'd be welcome in church, but she had friends that attend here. And so I remember from that moment, even a few months later, I had some buddies about my age that ate at this diner and somehow they had a conversation with this woman and they went on the share that she shared. That moment that day, she doesn't totally know what happens, but ever since then, God has been real to her and she's had a new relationship with him. And it was... This simple, powerful moment. But believe me, just like all of us in that moment, there was this place in my heart where I was like, am I gonna be obedient? Am I gonna move into this and follow this prompting? The worst thing that could happen is she'd be like, yeah, that doesn't mean anything to me. Or will I risk and step into the unknown and quite possibly having a moment that I look back on now and I'm like, I'm so happy I stepped out in that moment. I'm sure many of you in this room have moments in your life, maybe God moments that have actually shaped the course of your life. And I believe we all have moments in our life. And oftentimes those moments that God is calling us into can be robbed by comfort or robbed by fear or robbed by this fear of reputation or stepping into the unknown. And what's true is that comfort is often in direct contradiction to obedience to Jesus, that Jesus will actually call you into places that are uncomfortable because he wants to become your comfort, not your external circumstances. Isn't that beautiful? A whole new way to live that our external circumstances aren't what protect us or bring us comfort, but it's our internal peace through a relationship with Jesus that starts to transform us from the inside out that we should actually, I said in my notes, have FOMO about missing out on what God has for us. Does everyone know what FOMO means? Fear of missing out. All you guys got a little younger and a little cooler if you know that. <laughs> and there's this reality that your current decisions will shape your potential future. The decisions you're making today, where are they leading your life? The decisions 
you're making today? What is the future you're building? What is the battle that you are fighting for? And when God prompts you, is your heart, first of all, open to notice when he's moving, and second of all, obedient and faithful to respond? Because God has moments for you each and every day that he's longing for us to step into. And there's a cost of stepping into him. It might be your reputation of being associated with him. There might be persecution, but on the other side, there's also a cost of not stepping in that you might miss a moment that will define your life. Where are your current choices and decisions taking you? What kind of life are you building? And we're gonna get into a story as we do that. We're actually gonna have the offering because we're gonna talk about year and giving uh, for a final time at the end of the day. So I'm gonna invite the ushers to come down. But even this financially, have you ever taken a moment and said, God, I wanna trust what you're prompting me to give and seeing him be faithful on the other side? So the ushers are gonna come down. You can receive the offering. You can give through text. Many of you give online. We wanna thank you so much for giving. Many of you guys know when you give here, it impacts locally, it impacts globally. Um, and that what you give here, man, it goes into good soil and it grows well. And so it's interesting, there's this story in the scriptures and we talk about the cost of not moving. Maybe you won't think about it, but many of you know uh, King David in the scriptures in First and Second Samuel. Many of you know that David in the scriptures was known after a man after God's own heart. That's what he was known as all through scripture, a man after God's own heart, that he obeyed God in everything that he called him to do, that he was a victorious general. He was a king, he was a warrior, he was known for his integrity and upright heart. He was a musician and he was known for making great decisions and restoring the kingdom of Israel. And in this story, we see that even David had failures, that God used someone who was imperfect, which is good news for all of us, because I don't know about you, there's a lot of imperfect people in this room, including myself. But in this story, we see something start to happen that the decisions David makes when no one's watching start to shape his future and everyone can see that. And in this story, we see the cost of him not moving, that this train wreck of a situation starts to happen, but it first starts with him not stepping in to where he is supposed to be. It says this in 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, and I'll paraphrase some of this because it's pretty long and I encourage you to go read it even tonight, 2 Samuel 11 and 12. But it says this, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Do you catch that at the beginning? David is the king. It starts with when the kings are supposed to go off to war, David did not go that there was a cost for him not going and moving where he is supposed to be that we're gonna come to see. And it's interesting because if you read the story of scripture, everyone knows David and Goliath. He's known as this warrior. He's you know, been victorious in so many battles, but there's something interesting going on because he doesn't go at this point, right? There was a, something going on that made him not move and follow Jesus or follow God into what he had for him. And so it's interesting to skitter, why, why didn't he go? It seems outside of the character of David that you've come to know through the scriptures up until this point. And I mean, it could have been, maybe he's getting older in age. There could be a fear of he's fought so many battles. Maybe I'm gonna die. I don't think those are it. Although those can be reasons that stop us from moving or things that we might think disqualify us. 
What I think is what's going on, if you go to First Second Chronicles, you'll see a different perspective on the same story. And something happens during David's reign that he actually, as he's restoring Israel, wants to build a temple for the Lord, that the Lord would inhabit this temple and he wants to build it. And the Lord says, you're not gonna build it, your son's gonna build it. And I think if you compare the timelines, you can start to see that that might've happened right before this started to happen. And David might be in a place where he had this dream. God said no to this dream. And because of that, he might be depressed or apathetic about his life or he's experiencing pain. And because of that, he doesn't go and do what he's supposed to do. He stays where he's not supposed to be, that he's apathetic. And this dream being crushed, right, the result, just like for any of us that have had dreams that have been shattered, there's, there's pain. And whenever we deal with pain, even we talked about this with the mental health series a, a few weeks ago, there's something we can do with it. That when you experience pain, you can go to the healer who is God, you can run to God, or you can run from him. And in this moment, David runs from God, I believe. And in that place, he forgets his identity, he forgets his purpose, he's alone in isolation, and he gets to his place where I believe he's trying to medicate his pain, you'll see, through a woman that he's not supposed to be with in order to find comfort or healing. And it's interesting because I this thing about this story, and I think for so many of us, we can relate to being maybe in a job that you don't like or living a life you don't want or being in a situation that's really hard and being in this place of apathy. And you might be asking, how did I end up here? And because you're in a place you don't wanna be or maybe in a place you weren't created to be at, you start living a life that you were never intended to live. I was talking even with a friend. He ended up getting released from a job he was super passionate about through health complications. I remember him telling me before he moved on, he said, I just sat on the couch for like three to six months just depressed, trying to figure out what was going on and grappling with my life. I found this quote this week during a devotional I was doing that was, that was so good. It talks about Emotions, because what I think starts to happen is David has this chaos inside of him. And when you have chaos inside of you, it starts to become chaos outside of you, that you will recreate the world around you that's within you. And so when peace reigns in here, peace starts to reign out there. If you want to be a peacemaker, it starts with allowing peace to reign inside of you because you can't give away something you don't have. And so by ignoring pain or ignoring negative emotions within our lives, the pain, like we said a few weeks ago, if it's not transformed, it will be transmitted. And I, I found this quote that I thought was so good. Because I think at the beginning of the story, it's important to note when did everything go wrong? I think it's when David started ignoring this pain in his life. And this quote says this, it says, ignoring <coughs> our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. We strain out anything disturbing in order to gain tenuous control of our inner world. We are frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our consciousness. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. Now, I read this week, I was like, that's so good. And so I think David's supposed to be off at war. There's a cost for him not moving and being where he's supposed to be. And so he has this internal conflict. 
And I believe he's looking for refuge somewhere. He's not going to God at this moment in his life like he has before. And something bad starts to happen. It's almost like a cautionary tear tale for all of us. In verse 2, it goes on to say, One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. He should be at war. He's not where he needs to be. And there is a cost to not moving. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. I believe my dad said it before, but there is this truth. When you're not where you're supposed to be, you see things you're not supposed to see, and you start to do things you're not supposed to do. And what's interesting is David, in this moment, he's only thinking about himself. He's become a victim of his circumstance, and he starts to make a victim of this woman. And before he was using his power and his privilege to serve a nation, now he's using his power and privilege to serve himself. And it's even interesting looking at this, like, this does not seem consensual, right? I was reading this even in the aftermath of some of the Me Too movement. And obviously that's still ongoing, but I'm reading this and I'm like, this is someone using their power and privilege. Like who knows if this woman wants to be with him. She is married, but he uses his power to medicate his soul and he starts becoming someone that he's not supposed to do and he starts fighting a battle that he's not supposed to battle. And it made me think, have you ever realized that before you step into sin, you're usually in a place that you're not supposed to be? It's like, oftentimes we should just avoid the line, but you get as close as you can to the line. And when you get to that place, I believe like it's just not gonna go very well for you. I remember even when me and my wife were dating, we understood like we should not be alone in a room with the door closed. That's a recipe for disaster. Like if we actually wanna fight for purity, then we should set ourselves up with our actions before we even get to that point. Even in my own life, I realize my wife goes to bed earlier than I do. It's usually not a good idea for me to stay downstairs by myself. Not that something bad will always happen, but why would I even put myself in a situation? And there's this reality that you don't put yourself in situations to decide what you're going to do, decide what you're gonna do before the situation arises. And I really believe that a lot of sin happens in our life and we miss the mark on what God has for our lives and who he created us to be just because we're apathetic and bored with our lives. And I think specifically I can talk for men that can be like a long day at work or you're at a job you don't like and you just come home and it's easy to just turn on the TV and disengage and grab a beer rather than engage with what's going on in the home. But we all find ways to medicate. And we should all ask ourselves, God, am I doing something I'm not supposed to be doing? God, am I somewhere I am not supposed to be? Because before you do something you're not supposed to do, you're probably gonna be somewhere you're not supposed to be. Maybe it's a computer screen. Maybe it's someone's house. Are you somewhere you're not supposed to be? Many, many of you know a huge mega church in Chicago. There's a scandal over the last two years. I'm obviously not close enough to the situation, but you see articles coming out. Their lead pastor there, there's articles coming out of sexual allegations against him. Still don't know exactly what happens, but I do know in most of the stories, a lot of the stories were him on a ministry trip and women who were on the trip with him being alone with him in his room. 
And who knows what happened, but I'll tell you what, that's a recipe for disaster. God, am I somewhere I'm not supposed to be? David is somewhere he's not supposed to be. And he finds himself fighting a battle he's not supposed to fight. It goes on to say, then she went back home, Bathsheba. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. And so now David finds himself fighting a battle that he was never created to fight, which starts becoming this battle of the hide what's been done. Instead of coming clean and grabbing her husband and seeing what's going on, he starts making this one decision turn into many decisions and starts snowballing into more and more. And there's this truth that you won't, there won't be grace to win a battle you weren't created to fight. There won't be grace to win a battle you weren't created to fight. And there's this reality, I think, for all of us, even as I was writing this week, am I fighting a battle with my life that's worthy of the name of Jesus? Am I fighting for something that's eternal? Am I fighting to love my family well and be the father that God has called me to be? Am I fighting, even some of you in high school today, with my tongue to speak life in my high school where, believe me, I'm around high schoolers all around. They're the meanest people ever with their mouths. What is the battle you're fighting? Because many of us, were fighting for success, for significance, for a paycheck, we're fighting with our spouses, with our family, the people we love. What are you fighting for? What are you giving your life to? Because there is a cost to that. Your time, your energy, your talents, And there's also the other side of that reality that each and every one of us in this room, God has given you a potential. He's given you talents. He's given you intelligence. He's given you a sense of humor. He's knit things together in you that he wants to walk with you in co-laboring and co-creating a world and a humanity that radiates love and points to a God who loves us. And so for many of us, I even felt like the Lord has said this to me, like as men, we're not meant to objectify women, we're meant to protect women. What is the battle that you're fighting? There's real battles out there, right? Sharing the good news of Jesus, there's human trafficking, there's social justice issues, there's probably issues in your home that need attention, there's people that around you that are hurting that we can extend a hand to, that there's eternal battles that are fighting. And look at David, like instead of fighting this battle he's supposed to be fighting for his nation, he's now fighting a battle to just cover up his sin and his shame. And many of you guys know the story. I don't have time to get into all of it. He invites Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back and tries to get him to sleep with her during war. So he thinks the child is his own, which in the same sense, he must be silencing Bathsheba from saying what really happened, and so Uriah won't do it, so David tries to get all the situation right. You know, he ends up getting him drunk. He plays some John Legend music. (laughs) And he says, go sleep with your wife, and Uriah says, I will not sleep with her while my fellow 
soldier men are at war and it said he slept outside of the door. And so David knew he couldn't get them and so he wanted to hide it even more. So he went to his commander of the army and he said, the next battle you fight, let everyone come forward and pull back when Uriah's on the front line and let him get killed. And that's what happens. And so now David, in an attempt to cover what he's done, the battle he's fighting, it's just covering his own shame, has now created this huge mess. How did it all start? I believe first it started with him not dealing with this internal struggle within him, but secondly, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And he started fighting a battle to hide. Well, let me tell you this, the Christian life in the kingdom of God is about transparency, authenticity, and coming clean. And I hear it a lot in Christian circles, which I totally believe is true. We have this saying that's really positive and hopeful, and it says, the best is yet to come. I like it, I'm a positive guy. But here's a reality. Like I thought about this this week. If you are going down a path, it says sin leads to destruction, leads to death. If you are going down a path, the best is not yet to come unless you change the direction you're going. And that happens with confession, that happens with repentance, that happens with submitting your life to Jesus. And so yes, on the other side, of your confession, the best is yet to come. I love what it says. Even David writes about this moment in Psalm 32. It says, when I was silent, my bones groaned within me. And there was a price to pay for secrecy. You ever felt that? You've done something you weren't supposed to do? And you're so scared to come clean with it. But your silence brought aching to your bones and to your soul. There's a cost to pay. And so it says this, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. And if you follow David's in scripture through the rest of this time, what you start to see is, there is family chaos that comes from this moment all the days of his life. That there was a cost for him stepping into this. What's also beautiful is a prophet comes to him named Nathan and exposes to him what he has done, who calls him out, who speaks truth to his power, who speaks truth to what he's concealed. And David starts to repent. And as he starts to repent and turn back to the Lord, this first son that was conceived ends up dying and there's heartache over it. But the next son many of you guys known is Solomon, who became one of the richest kings in all the world. And through the family lineage of Solomon, Jesus was born. There's like this line of redemption that comes through as David then confesses and submits to the Lord. And the beautiful news about all this today is whatever you're going through, there is consequences to things you've done. But as you ask for forgiveness, there is also redemption in the name of Jesus. Heard someone say, say this about God, he said, God is a crazy redeeming genius. And so no matter what you have done, there is redemption as you bring it to him. But it starts with bringing it to him. And I believe we all need Nathans in our lives. Have you surrounded yourself with people who will speak truth to you in love? Because there's a reality for all of us, you cannot be concerned with what everyone thinks about you. 
And if you listen to every voice in your life about what they think about you or what you're doing with your life, you will live like this. But the people you trust and who are close to you and speak truth to you, you should care about what they think. Do you have people in your life who will speak truth to you and pull you in to a greater reality of who God has called you to be? And maybe today is a Nathan moment for you that you don't know why you came here. I'll tell you what, I didn't think I'd teach on this scripture. I don't know why, so close to Christmas. I don't even know if I've ever taught this scripture. But I felt like for some reason for our church, I was supposed to teach on this. And there's a large part of me that thinks there's a lot of reasons for that. But a part of that is there's some people in here today that you're hiding things, you're spending all your energy on hiding and your bones and your soul are aching inside and the Lord is inviting you into a whole new reality, a whole new life. It doesn't mean it's gonna change tomorrow, but inside of you today, as you submit to Jesus, it will change the reality of your life. And you will start stepping into something that you never imagined as you allow the redemption and the reconciliation and resurrection power of Jesus to enter into your life. But you have to come clean and let him move through you. And I'll close with this. And we have this incredible video to show you as we wrap our time today. But there's this reality that being who God calls you to be means being where he calls you to be. And I've shared this story before, I, I believe last year. It was a new story to me. Um, about a year, eh, probably two, and a, two years ago, me and my dad, we went down to Ball State um, for a golf alumni outing that he was at. Um, I shot like five below par. I'm kidding. I'm not, way higher. Um, but I remember we're at, the, we're at this light, Ball State Stadium's right there, holds about 10 people. And uh, <laughs> now we're sitting there and there's the parking lot out there and we're at this red light. I've shared this before. My dad looked over at me and he shared a story with me I'd never heard before. Um, some of you guys know my parents' story. My dad was dating a woman, um, trying to find Jesus in the midst of that, ended up catching her sleeping with another man at Bowling Green when he came to visit her. Him and my mom ended up dating a little bit. And during that time after that, my parents both surrendered their lives to Jesus, started dating. And in the midst of that, he said his ex-girlfriend who had cheated on him drove to Ball State. And he said, he's pointing at the parking lot. And he said, right there, she drove and she met me. And he's like, well, you couldn't talk on the cell phone. Like it was on like pay phones. We had to like set this thing up, right? And so he's like, we were in the, in the car and she was telling me about how she was sorry and wanting my forgiveness and how she changed and how she wants to live for Jesus and that we should get back together. And I remember he said to me, he was like, and I remember it, like, it's crazy. I was sitting in the car and I was thinking maybe I should get back together with her. And I'm like, this is crazy. I've never heard this. And so he goes on to share and he says, after thinking about it for a while, I looked at her and I said, we're not getting back together. I'm a totally different person. I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm never talking to you again. And he looks over at me and he says, and I've never talked to her again. I don't know what she's doing. I remember later that day driving home and think about how small that probably seemed in the moment. Like it was a big deal. But I don't think oftentimes we realize the cost of small compromise. Because as I was driving home that day, what I realized is my family's legacy started on that day. And I even was thinking, man, imagine the spiritual warfare going on over that seemingly insignificant small moment that on the other side of that decision was my dad marrying my mom, was my brothers and our family 
and Kensington Church and the Detroit Lions and all these family ministries, marriage ministries. And sometimes in our limited perspective, how high was the cost of saying no to Jesus in that moment? And I've even talked to my dad. He said, if I would have been with her, I would be divorced. And some of you might hear that and you, you might think, man, I, I missed it. It's, it's not too late. And if you're hiding something, the greatest thing you could do for your life was expose it today to God, to people who love you, who care about you. There might be consequences. And rebuilding trust might take time. But take off the yoke of secrecy and the burden of shame and step into the kingdom of God and your destiny and purpose today. And so today as we end, man, there's this beautiful video of one of our global partners in Brazil. And as you guys give, you know, it impacts what's going on at these types of churches and your money goes towards things like this. But it's the story, I believe, of someone who said yes to Jesus and you see, man, what Jesus can do in a community and through lives through someone who has laid down their lives to do and to be who God has made them to be. Favela is a really hard place to live. It's where the most poor people live. This place is commanded by the drug dealers, the traffic, the cartel. And there is so much stuff that happens in the favela, you won't believe it. There is some kids with eight, nine, 10, 11 years old they sell drugs inside of the favelas. Some of them will have a dream to become a drug dealer because for them to become a drug dealer is have power, is have success. É, avião, se chama aviãozinho, né? É de buscar, de levar, de mandar recado. Eu acho que começa muito de cedo, assim, começa pelo aliciamento, né? Tem muitos que gostam muito de aliciar as meninas. Então as meninas de pequena já são mais aliciadas, começam mais por biscoito e troca. Então elas são deixadas ser tocadas de uma forma má. The favela is an extreme danger place. You cannot mess with the cartel, with the drug dealers. Even the police, they have to be authorized to go inside the favela. And for instance, some people, if you're stealing something in the favela, you're probably gonna have in trouble. There is this guy that they break his hand. He's almost died because he's stealing something from inside the favela. Favela is a really like hard place to live. I would say 50% of this house, if you can call that house, they don't have even like a toilet, like a bathroom. They don't have water. It's just a place for them to sleep. For example, we met this woman, Josanette, and she's been raising six grandchildren in a really, really small house. 
just by herself because one of her daughters was killed by the cartel and the other one is in jail. We have, we have so much. These people doesn't even have like a place to sleep or a bathroom, like a toilet. I'm so blessed when I just got to this place and see this reality. It just makes me think like uh, we have to do some stuff. We can, we can do some stuff, you know? We opened our church in our old warehouse. And our church looks like some churches in America. We have music. We have kids program. We have a coffee shop. We have teaching. The location of our church was really important. The main idea was to make a bridge for help the people on the favelas. So we located our church next to the favela. Everyone was like, hey, don't go there, man. It's like a really hard issue, some, some like a trouble with the, with the guys, with the drug, with drug dealers. And that was actually, God was telling us, hey, this is the place you have to be. This is the mission of a church. This is why we call the bridge, to build the bridge so that people can find Jesus through our good works. One of the things that we do in our church, if you want to become a member, you're probably gonna ask you where you wanna help us. Otherwise, for us, it's not a reason to become a member. The people were so involved with the service that we have a really small staff. We have a saying around here called Somos a Ponte. That means we are the bridge. The main idea is like the church to understand the church is not about like a pastor or some leaders, but everybody has to understand that we are the church of Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we decided to help people was to start some social projects inside of our building. For example, we built this dentist clinic and we asked the church if we could find some dentists and we have about like 50 dentists. They give like one hour, two hours per week so they can help some people. Nada mais justo do que usar algo que eu já faço no meu dia a dia para ajudar quem precisa. We also have the class to help people with special needs where children can come here and learn and have some fun. We have classes to help some kids to get a better education. I'm going to law school in the Federal University of Pernambuco. You're going to be a lawyer? Yeah, I want to be a lawyer. We also have this program called Precious Plastic. We asked the church to bring some stuff they actually didn't use anymore, and we transformed that. That way, some people can make some money, and we can create some jobs for our people in the favelas. God has been used this church to have a great impact in the favela. Even the cartel, the drug dealer, they have much respect for our church. Então, então essa igreja, ela é fundamental para a comunidade aqui, porque então a igreja é essencial aqui para gente. Oxe, é muito grato mesmo. One of my favorite programs is help some young people to become a first responders. There is a guy called Caesar. I met him about like two years ago, and I can tell you the program changed his life. Queria as coisas não tinha, meus amigos tinha. Aí foi quando descobri como é que eles arrumava dinheiro e tal. Aí fui olhando, olhando e também eu entrei, comecei a fazer também. Horrível. A experiência foi horrível porque é uma pequena parte do inferno lá dentro, né? Apesar que só tinha 
foi, foi maravilhoso, porque eu tive a oportunidade de ser alguém na vida. We also have this program called Imagine. The main idea of this program is help some people to dream about a better life. We have Jiu-Jitsu to help some boys to learn some martial arts. We have the ballet that helps some girls from the favelas learn how to dance. Elas assim enche se enxergarem no espelho, olhar o próprio corpo, aceitar que a sua forma física é diferente, que todo mundo é diferente. Historicamente falando, o balé é algo de, de rico, que as meninas afaveladas não têm acesso. Remember earlier I told you about this lady called Josanette. She takes care of about six grandchildren, and one of them is taking class from our ballet. Helene has such a beautiful smile, and now she has big dreams. Foi através da minha mãe porque ela era bailarina e eu aí eu peguei, ela faleceu infelizmente, né? Uma doença e eu peguei e falei, é meu sonho. Ah, eu amo bailarina. Sei lá, bailarina, continua, continua sendo bailarina porque eu gosto. After I met Irlani and her grandmom, I was like deeply touched. And I post a video on Instagram. Gente, tô aqui com a, com a irmã tremendo. Two hours after I posted this video on Instagram, so many people just started talking to me. We already have like six beds, a new refrigerator, a new ceiling. I'm like, basically, we're gonna just remodel the whole house. Like every Brazilian boy, I would love a dream to become a soccer player. But God has another plans for my life. And I became a pastor. And I am the happiest person on the whole planet. I can tell you that. One of the things that makes my heart like so happy is to understand that we are working for something that is eternal. Every time I go to the favela, I understand what Jesus said. They better give than receive. This is what we want to be as a church. We want to change the reality because we know that we can. We have to be these people that actually cry with them. We have to be these people that are actually gonna have to do something for them because sometimes they don't have a voice, they don't have rights, they don't have dreams. The church is the church when actually people can see Jesus through us. We are the hands, the feet of Jesus to bring light where it's really, really dark. We want to spread the gospel. We want to be the bridge. 
want to make a path, we want to help people to find the way to God. As I watch this story, I just got to tell you, any hopelessness or cynicism that I might have in my life, it just evaporated. Seeing what Jesus Christ can do in situations that we say are hopeless. Guillermo and his team in Recife are working in one of the hardest spots on planet Earth. And yet in the midst of that is the joy of Jesus Christ and the transformation of people's lives. I just want you to know something. When you make a year-end gift to Kensington, you are affecting lives all over the planet. From Metro Detroit to almost every corner of the earth. And what a privilege it is to be able to do that. I am so glad that God has let me live and journey this road with you to see these lives transform. And as we come to Christmas, I just, I just gotta ask you, what better Christmas present will you ever get than the story that you just saw of what God is doing in one place? This is what Christmas is all about. This is Jesus Christ alive. This is Jesus coming into communities, being born in mangers and making people alive and bringing hope and healing. And so I really want to encourage you to make a year-end gift to Kensington this Christmas. I want you to join with me because I'm going to do it too to launch us into another year where we get to live this privilege of seeing Jesus Christ work through imperfect people like us to touch the world with his love. What could be better than that this Christmas? Yeah, videos, so, so powerful. I love uh, their pastor. You could see it when he said, I'm the happiest pastor in the world because I'm a part of building something that's eternal and it's more blessed to give than to receive. And even as we're talking today, is what you're fighting for is the thing you're building, will it outlast the life that you're living? And so I wanna encourage you guys, uh, obviously we just said it, and this is the last weekend we'll be talking about it, but I wanna encourage you, I think last weekend and this weekend, you should have got one of these when you came in. If you want one even right now, you don't have one, you can raise your hand. It's the year-end giving booklet. You can grab one on the way out. Um, and so if you want one, just put your hands up. There's people around you. But I want to encourage you, uh, the first page is the best because it's, I call it the bald page. It's Steve and my dad. Um, but there's, I was, I was looking through this, um, and I think my dad was saying last weekend, like there's, the pictures in here are incredible, but even I was learning stuff like more than 790,000 people uh, came to services at Kensington this last weekend. We've been reaching over a million people in Kenya helping with clean water um, and also spiritual needs. But the best thing is in the back, you kind of see if you're gonna give towards Kensington. And I encourage you, if you don't feel led to give here, give somewhere and step out into the journey of financially leveraging your life to support other people and giving things away. But you can see exactly what your money's going towards, whether it's providing a scholarship to a Bible college for a future church planner in Israel, uh, starting a house church and persecuted believers with Afghanistan, or 
you know, giving towards Cuba or something locally. But what I encourage all of us to do, um, and, and maybe you don't feel led to give, that's okay, but I'd encourage you as a family, sit down, read through this, and at the end, there's an envelope, there's action steps on ways to give through the app, through online, check, um, and there's an envelope in that. And just pray this Christmas, God, would you have us give here? Would you support it? And you guys know stories like that happen because of you sacrificially giving away your finances, your time, your energy, even driving in today, watching our parking team in like 30 degrees snow, setting up cones was like unbelievable to me. And so when we give generously, we imitate our father in heaven who gave radically and generously by sending his son to us, which we'll celebrate next weekend. But the vision for us as a church and as a community here today, man, whatever God's calling you to do, whether it's financially giving, whether it's stepping into year and giving, which I encourage you to do, or it's just, man, having a radical new perspective over where God's placed you in your work or with your family and bringing Jesus there. I wanna encourage us that we would be a church and we are here at Kensington at Orion that steps in to what God has for us. And so we're just going to celebrate that um, and respond to that just in worship today. But I'd encourage you, even as we're singing and we're, and we're worshiping, to consider, God, am I where you're calling me to be? Am I who you're calling me to be? And is there something in my life I need to share? And am I fighting and living for what you have for me? And so I just want to pray for us. So Jesus, we just thank you today uh, for each and every person in this room, God. And we thank you, God, that you're a God who's so powerful, Jesus, that we can walk in here one way and leave radically different through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so God, I pray that you give us clarity, you give us illumination, you give us courage to follow you where you're prompting us, God. That we'd be a church that says yes to you and that we'd know when we make mistakes, your grace is bigger, your forgiveness is larger. And we know we're never disqualified from you based on what we've done, based on what's been done to us or our past, present or future but you are always with us, walking near us, and let us experience you in a fresh new way this Christmas, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.